I think um, you need to just step back and say, I'm a project manager. I'm going to project manage this <laughs> meeting. Uh, seriously, a lot of the same skills that you are applying to your project, you just need to step back and realize that this is a project itself. Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. Every two weeks, we meet to discuss the things that matter to you as a professional project manager. We're here for you, to encourage you, to give you some ideas you can use, and to help you get to your best and maintain it. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me is the one who is instrumental in helping us be at our best, Bill Yates. And, and Bill, before we get to our guest, we should remind our listeners where our other partner in crime is right now, yeah, Andy, Crow. Andy Andy Crow is not in the room. He is in the water. He is on a boat. He is not on in the, the water. Uh, yeah, that's water. true. Good point. Yeah, hopefully he's on top of the water in his sailing vessel. And uh, so we don't know exactly where he is, but he's not here. If people want to remember, uh, we actually had an episode dedicated to that where we talked with Andy and Kieran, uh, episode 74, for all the details. And, of course, we'll be checking back in with yeah. uh, Andy from time to time and, and probably even talk with him on sure. one of our future podcasts. But right now, we got a great guest with us today. Rich Maltzman, PMP, recently retired from a 40-year career in the telecom industry, the last 30 years focusing on project management. He's currently a senior lecturer at Boston University, developing and teaching classes in project management and qualitative and quantitative decision-making. Rich is the co-founder of EarthPM LLC, a company devoted to integrating sustainability thinking into the project management world. He has authored or co-authored several books, including Green Project Management, which won PMI's Cleland Award for Literature, Project Workflow Management, a business process approach, and Bridging the PM Competency Gap. His latest book is titled How to Facilitate Productive Project Planning Meetings, and that's much of what we want to focus on today. Rich, thank you for being with us here on Manage This. It's great to be here. Before we get into the subject of what makes successful planning meetings, let's find out a little bit more about you. Now, you spent 40 years in the telecom industry. How did that prepare you for your work today? Well, being in industry gets you familiar with all of the kinds of situations. And I should back up and, and explain that uh, only 30 years of that was in project management. Huh. <laughs> only, so yeah. uh, a good portion <laughs> oh, of it was okay. in engineering and some was in project management. But all of that experience uh, involves meeting with uh, a vast amount of people and a wide variety of different people. So I'd say that that experience um, prepared me for, amongst other things, being able to talk, I hope, somewhat intelligently about how meetings can be improved. And you're a lecturer at uh, Boston University. Uh, how did that come about? Well, if you look at my background, um, even way, way back in the beginning of my career, which ashamedly goes back to the 70s, um, <laughs> I was doing training uh, back at that time. And I found I really liked that part of the job. So even back in the 80s, I was doing some teaching at local community colleges. And I found that that was exceedingly rewarding, just seeing light bulbs go off over people's head mm. uh, to, to say, hey, I got this. I understand it. Thanks for explaining that. That's one of the better feelings you can get in a work environment, at least in my opinion. So I started doing that on the side. And um, uh, most recently, I've made it a full-time uh, position. 
Rich, you and I have known each other for a while, and I, yes. that has been my impression from day one is you're passionate about teaching, mentoring, coaching, leading people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we appreciate this time with you. And I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I really enjoyed this book, uh, the book that we're talking about. We're going to hit on some of the, the notes from it. Mm-hmm. But I, I got to tell you, you got me right from the start when you and Jim talked about the problem. And uh, I, when I was reading about, you know, kind of what led you to want to write this book, you guys talked about the problems. The problem is we have all been victims to awful meetings. Uh, and I, <laughs> yes. I, I was cracking up at some of the stats that you were throwing out about bad meetings. Uh, personally, you say you've been in quite a few bad meetings yourself. How many do you think you've been in? Uh, I've counted it 623. Um, <laughs> counting this one, 624. No, oh, no. <laughs> all that hurt. Nice one. <laughs> uh, it's a lot. I don't. I don't know the number. And of course, what's the definition of bad? I mean, I'd say yeah. the better word is disappointing and unrewarding. Two words: uh, disappointing and unrewarding. Yeah. So you walk out of a meeting with that feeling like. Let's say you're just an attendee. You walk out of that meeting with the feeling, you know, why did I just spend an hour in that room? Mm-hmm. Or if you're, it's even worse, if you're leading the meeting, you wonder, did people get it? Are people right. walking away tasked? Do they know, okay, I, I'm excited about what I have to do and I know what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say, let's put it in percentage terms. I'm going to say about 30% of the time, um, I've, I, at least, I remember walking away from meetings going, you know, was that a really good use of my time mm. and everyone else's time? And think about the number of people in the room, yeah. 15, 20 people in the room, each getting a reasonable salary, at least, you know, they're certainly getting paid. And all of that time, is it really being best used? You wonder. Yeah, that that's so true. And just stepping back and looking at some of the statistics that you, you guys share in the book, in the U.S., uh, 25 million meetings per day mm-hmm. in the United States in corporate America. And of those, you know, like 15% of the collective time of the organization is being spent in those meetings. Yet, about uh, when you ask managers, you know, how effective are the meetings – they come back and say, ah, I think about two thirds are failures. You know, they right. we we failed to walk out with a clear action plan. People weren't clear. Uh, we didn't have the right people in the room. So many of these things that you guys talk about. So, uh, so yeah, I I appreciate a book that takes a common problem and looks for solutions. So right, all right. So I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as project managers, we know you want to start with a clear problem statement, a rationale for doing the project. In that case. Uh, the book is the project, right. and the the rationale for writing the book is, hey, there's there's there's, a, there's room for improvement here, and yeah. and it's kind of ironic because we're at the the eye of the storm as project managers. We live and die by meetings, yes, and yet we don't apply our own project management principles to the planning of meetings. So we kind mm. of said, let's refocus ourselves as PMs and put our own intelligence on uh, meeting planning. Right. And Rich, you wrote this book not just from your own perspective, but uh, you did a little bit of research uh, with with others who have been through uh, some tales of woe. Yes. Uh, both Jim Stewart, my co-author, and myself have fairly large networks of people. We've both intentionally been very active on LinkedIn um, to build networks. And, uh, and by the way, I coach project managers to do that. It's just a, a very, very good practice. Um, so we leaned on those networks and talked to people who we know, uh, folks who've also been in industry for a long time in a variety of industries. 
and ask them. But we also leaned on, um, I guess you could say, standard bearers in the in this field of meetings. We talked to facilitators. We talked to people who have written books as facilitators, just in general, not project management, because we realize we don't want to make this so niche focused that it's only for PMs. So we talked to psychologists. We talked to uh, people who've written guidebooks on how to facilitate, and we got their opinions too. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you uh, mentioned, we grabbed a lot of war stories from these folks, (laughs) awful, absolutely awful meetings that they've been to. And we have a small chapter uh, dedicated to that piece as well. Oh, that's fun too. It's such a fun read, the, the appendix where some of these stories are shared. It's like you save some of the best, some of the funniest stuff till the end. I mean, there's yes. humor throughout the book, but those stories were were great. One thing I appreciate about the book is it's not just, a, okay, here's how to have an effective meeting. I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of a, you could say that at a high level, but you guys get very specific and tactical. You talk about uh, the the importance of a kickoff meeting and a planning session, specifically yes. a two-day. You know, you you prescribe a two-day planning session, a planning meeting, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's, uh, again, I'm going to use the word tactical. You have very specific items to carry out and to do. And I, I like, I can't remember if it's your emphasis or Jim's on the notion of this is where the project manager really needs to step in and be large and in charge. So she or he needs to, you know, kind of show authority from the beginning. So talk large and in charge. We use that here at Velocity. What do you guys mean by that? Well, what we mean is that attitude is contagious. Okay. And, um, I, I, I just even last evening when I, I talked about this at Boston University, um, I actually have been in a meeting where an individual would get up in front of the group and in a um, uh, very monotone voice will say, OK, we're here to do this meeting that's uh, about <laughs> this project. And, you know, it, it, it comes across very clearly that they don't seem to care. Um, you need to be almost a caricature. Of, of yourself, uh, exaggerate your um, vision and the purpose of the project, the importance of how it connects to the mission and vision of the company. Uh, and you have to be optimistic and upbeat. It, it has to seem possible. And you want to, um, and I lean on uh, Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. You have to have a vision, you know, even a conceptual drawing, of course, depends on the kind of project on which you're working. Um, you know, have an image of what it is that you expect. And uh, let me go back to my academic background, my current academic background. Um, some of the best presentations in my uh, courses, which are all project-based, are the ones where the students start off, let's say they're developing an app. They start off with screenshots from what looked like a real app on, yeah. a, on, on a smartphone. Yeah. That's the first thing you're presented with as, as the sponsor or the audience. And I have the students make the, the classroom into, you know, magically into an audience, uh, into the sponsor as an audience. They, they will show them, here's what this looks like. And that's beginning with the end in mind. So large and in charge means that not necessarily that you're physically large, but that you take on a presence, <laughs> a large presence um, as a, uh, as a, well, for lack of a better word, a cheerleader for the meeting. Yeah. I've enriched one of the things that, um, as I thought about that and saw mm-hmm. and was reading what you guys had to say about that, uh, you, and I see that consistent in the steps that you, you guys put forward as leading to successful kickoff planning session meetings, mm-hmm. um, having that sponsor there, at the beginning and throughout, and then wrapping up at the end. And I really like that. That resonates with me. 
again, we've talked about that before. There's a, we even teach to that in some of the project management fundamentals type courses that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, one of the uh, sources that I like to cite to that end is a, a book by Hyatt and Creasy. It's uh, Change Management, The People Side of Change. And mm-hmm. there, um, they talk about the importance of executive sponsorship. And there's no, no time more important than the beginning of the project, the kickoff. And they researched 300 companies. In their book, they talked about uh, the number one success factor cited for implementing change through projects is visible and active executive sponsorship. So That's right. I agree with you guys you know, wholeheartedly on that point. As you've thought back with your career, have you ever had to kind of sell the sponsor on being in the room, you know, convince them of, of that importance for this meeting? Absolutely. In fact, uh, the basis uh, for these two-day planning meetings comes from a, a strange, probably not that strange, actually, coincidence in that both Jim and I, different industries, have been involved in these customer project kickoff meetings okay. um, that have this for- very similar format. And both uh, both Jim and I found that they were successful. And yes, in, in this case, the sponsor... It's kind of a co-sponsor of the senior leadership of our company, in this case, a telecom equipment manufacturer, and the customer of that network system. So, for example, at the time, this goes back to the, the old days, uh-huh. companies like Pacific Bell yeah, would be sure. the, would be the customers of what was at the time AT&T network systems. And I'm going back to, you know, Brontosaurus and Tyrannosaurus <laughs> times. <laughs> but when we would have these kickoff meetings, we would invite Pacific Bell to be present at the beginning, explaining why this network was so important for them. We're going to be putting in uh, the equivalent of a cable network system. We're going to start to compete with cable companies, which was, you know, shocking at the time. You know, mm. telephone companies competing with cable companies. Now they are cable companies. Right. <laughs> um, but in, the, in those days, to energize testers, installers, designers, uh, all the contributors to a telecom network, there was nothing better than to have a person from Pacific Bell standing in front of them saying, I am your customer. This is critical for us. Mm. You, you guys need to have this turned up on time, and here's why. Mm. And to me, that's even better than an executive sponsor because now it's coming from uh, it's coming from outside. Yeah, I, you know, Rich, the the large and in charge. Uh, it's funny, Nick. When I think of that, I mean, I, that just resonates with me. I think of wrestling or you know some <laughs> some massive figure. It, it can be like yeah. that, I'm sure. <laughs> but there there are times when project managers are very comfortable in the technical space. And they're mm-hmm. fine talking with the team once things get rolling, but getting that momentum going with this first meeting is not always a natural thing. So, you know, to your point, Rich, it's like almost a caricature of who I am or who a project manager normally is. Yep. And it, it's so helpful when I've got that. The person, you know, if I have a sponsor standing next to me and she's well-respected in the organization or, heck, she signs the checks, you know, people look at that and they okay, all right, well, if... Tina is giving, is she, if she's kind of, you know, anointing Bill as the leader of this initiative, it must be important. You know, I guess I'll listen yeah. to Bill after all. So exactly. That, it goes yeah. to that whole idea of influence without authority. You know, as a project manager, you're often not the uh, largest and in chargest in the room right. uh, from, a, from a hierarchical standpoint. Um, so you need something, some source of authority and having the person who signs the check saying bill is running this project well that's one source of authority mm-hmm. and of course having a customer reiterate that doesn't hurt yeah. so yeah those two-day meeting um, tactical outlines is a, a part of the book 
Um, it's not the only part of the book, but we do get down to brass tacks uh, in a couple of these chapters. So, Rich, let me ask you this. What do you actually need to put in place? What do you need to do? What steps do you need to take before this meeting? I think um, you need to just step back and say, I'm a project manager. I'm going to project manage this <laughs> meeting. Uh, seriously, a lot of the same skills that you are applying to your project, you just need to step back and realize that this is a project itself. The meeting itself is a time-limited endeavor that's unique, and uh, you need to, to put the same principles you're applying to the project into the planning of the meeting, including logistics like, what building is this in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and have I co- clearly communicated what what loca- you know the location and the logistics for the meeting and even the purpose? And one of our mm-hmm. war stories, someone um, indicated that they forgot to clearly state that this was a project planning meeting. So they invited everyone to this kick. They just called it a kickoff. And people didn't know what they'd be doing at the meeting. Oh, wow. uh, you should have at least an outline or a preliminary agenda and, mm-hmm. you know, in maybe size 14, at least font. <laughs> no, this is a project planning meeting with the following expected outcomes. Mm. Rich, you, uh, I think you shared, I can't, I don't know if there's a personal story or, or a, a colleague you reached out to where it's important to uh, emphasize the, not just the right location conference room, but the right city. Uh-huh. Yes. Is there, oh, is there a story there? Oh yes. I had, uh, I had an engineer, Go to Minneapolis instead of Indianapolis. Oh, oh no! He just got, went to Annapolis city. <laughs> I guess he could have gone to Annapolis. This actually happened. And, and if you know uh, this, if you know the geography of the United States, there's Bloomington, Minnesota, and Bloomington, Indiana. And the meeting was in Bloomington. Wow! And he associated it with. Um, Bloomington, Indiana. The meeting was supposed to be in Bloomington, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and we got a call. <laughs> I still remember it. Uh, I'm at a rental car agency in uh, Bloomington, and, and they're telling me there's no hotel like the one you're talking about here. Uh, am I in the wrong place? And we're like, oh, no. yeah, yes. you are. <laughs> oh, now, that was mostly a mistake on his part, but this is a that's a real example. Um, I think it's pretty clear in this case that you just needed to be very obvious about the state and location and so yeah. forth. But that, that's a that's. Although it really happened, it's it's kind of an outlier. Oh, that is, yeah, that's a great story. There's so many uh, useful takeaways from the book, and mm-hmm. uh, one of them is uh, I'm I'm holding the sheet now. It's page 54. There's a planning meeting readiness checklist, mm-hmm. and uh, Rich, this is really helpful. You know, there's 15 or so uh, bullet items here to kind of a checklist. So, and project managers love checklists. So oh, in yes. that there there's it's a great checklist. You know, to your point. It hits on logistics. It hits on uh, some of the, you know, have I sent out a proper agenda? Have I let people know this is a kickoff meeting and we're going to do some serious planning? There's yes. a lot in there. Here's one of the pieces that um, when I looked at it, I was thinking, okay, this is ac- this actually has a lot of pre-work involved. Because as you walk into this meeting, you know, the assumption is the project charter is signed. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's an official project. But there's also a scope statement in place. So that implies a pretty deep understanding of scope. So there have been some form of meeting with the customer, with the sponsor ahead of time to, to understand that. Um, yes. So like, you know, so help me understand if we're talking about like a, a project that's going to go for a year, where, how deep into the project will we have this kickoff planning meeting? 
Uh, it would still be fairly early um, mm-hmm. in, in the project. And of course, I have to give you the, the answer that it depends. Sure, is this absolutely. A, is this a, a two-month <laughs> uh, development of an app, or is this a you know a one billion dollar uh, network deployment for a telecom or mm-hmm. IT company, or a medical device or a pharmaceutical introduction? All, all of these things would be would be different. Right. But we're talking about the first ten percent of the timeline of the project. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. the, the kickoff needs to be it, it's. As you correctly identified, there has to be enough uh, solid information about the project so that it makes sense for people to perhaps fly in from different parts of the world to be together uh, or to be in a large uh, virtual meeting. Um, But the project should be chartered. The project manager should be identified. And that means you you are somewhat into the timeline. And I'm just guessing that it's uh, generally about 10% into the overall timeline. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I've got a question for you, Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, there's probably some listeners here who might be pushing back a little bit, saying, uh, mm-hmm. "Now, wait a minute. I don't want to overplan here. Uh, you know, because this is going to we're going to lose our creativity. We're going to to lose our spontaneity, our our out of the box thinking." Uh, right. What would you say to people who maybe are a little worried about that uh, in in terms of planning for this meeting? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things we recommend is that you have a pre-filled out or started um, WBS, uh, just started, and you have a, st- a risk register with a couple of items um, filled in. And, and maybe uh, this is from my teaching background and, and uh, dealing with students, but we really all are students. Uh, yes, there's a, a risk that if you have such a constrained format, uh, you might block some input. Um, I think you just need to buy into that fact and say, look, I started this, but I want any idea, even if it doesn't fit into the format of this WBS. You've got uh, some risks identified here. It's just to show you the format of what we mean by a risk. That's the only purpose of Mm -hmm. this Um, and and what the characteristics we want to record are about the risks we'll identify. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I've identified uh, a labor strike doesn't mean you should only think about labor issues. We want Mm -hmm. you to think broadly and deeply. And so... Your, your concern is valid. Um, uh, your uh, fear of uh, or, or the listener's fear of over planning um, should be taken into account. I know that agile thinking is uh, very popular right now. And we even dedicate some space in the book to agile planning meetings. Um, but I, I would I would push back on the pushback and say that <laughs> you, you should be able to manage um, and draw out illicit creativity mm-hmm. as a good large and in charge project manager, even if you do have some structure, for example, a a risk register with the first couple of risks filled in, I think Mm -hmm. you still can and should uh, be able to draw out all kinds of wild ideas in this meeting. And that's really what you're after here. Think about this for a moment, a pet peeve of mine, Um, stakeholder and risk identification. Yeah. If you fail to do those two things at the beginning uh, of a project, um, Guess what? You have risks that you never even thought of show up. You have mm. stakeholders who you didn't even consider were stakeholders suddenly showing up halfway through mm. and blocking, um, or uh, you missed out on an opportunity of a stakeholder mm. who suddenly, uh, who now you suddenly discover could have saved you very early. Mm. Rich, quick follow. You just triggered a thought in my mind, okay. which is, I mean, it's so important to invite the right people to this meeting. Uh, even if they only come for a portion of it, you know, if it's a two day yes. meeting, I may have somebody from customer service that I want to come in for an hour mm-hmm. and explain to our team that's developing an app, let's say, 
Uh, mm-hmm. This is the impact that the app may have on us. If you guys, you know, let me share my perspective from customer service and the kind of calls and, and chats and, and whatever that we receive. Uh, how are we going to handle that with the app? You know, here's our perspective. So I don't need right. them there the whole time, but I need them for part. Um, you've got, you know, I know it's natural to be running a meeting like this and then suddenly somebody brings something up and I'm like, oh, wow, we need to have somebody from that department in the room or somebody from that customer area in the room. What do you yes. do? You know, how, would you hit the pause button? You plan another meeting? What advice do you have for that? Well, it's going to depend on the specific situation, but I would say I, I tend to be pretty liberal in mm-hmm. that area. In other words, if it, it's apparent that hearing the voice of a customer service person right now is important. I would like to get that person on the video or on the phone as mm-hmm. soon as possible. I also think it's a, we, we now have the advantage and we're seeing it together right now of video conferencing and recording. Uh, so if you were to bring that person in for that one hour to talk about this, even if you, and of course, with their permission, you record that one hour um, and then play that back when they're not available, but the other people who need to hear that are, are, can be in the room. Um, nothing wrong with piecing together uh, the, the, the meeting and responding to it in that way. But that's a very good point. And in the real world, you can read all the books you want. Mm. Um, I think our book is fairly good, but you can read any best practice book and still some unexpected things going to happen. Oh, yeah. And one of the key habits of a project manager is being able to bob and weave and react in real time to both threats and opportunities. You, you gave yeah. a great example of a positive risk. Someone happens to be walking by uh, the meeting room who's a customer service person who really could contribute. You hadn't thought of that until now. Wow, they could contribute. Invite them in, record that, make it available as an artifact for later in the meeting yeah. uh, or as a follow-up. That's good. Rich, one of the things that uh, Nick and I were laughing about as we were preparing for our conversation with you Mm -hmm. uh, is for some of the people that have been invited into the meeting that may Mm -hmm. be a little difficult to manage. So, Nick, what are we talking about there? You you, you refer to them as meeting goblins. Uh, (laughs) What do you you mean by that? (laughs) So... um, Everyone has a reptilian brain, (laughs) especially reptiles um, and uh, including reptiles. Um, So we all have some of this in us, but there are some people who seem to be have this more prevalent in their uh, in their meeting behavior. So we do have a section uh, near the beginning of the book uh, where we talk about meeting goblins. And this comes from uh, our 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 joint consciousness, myself and Jim's. And we decided to give them names. And uh, later on, after the book, we actually gave them little figurine. Uh, oh, nice. Images. Yeah, I can provide that as a follow-up if you really want to get scared. You're going to have a whole line of action figures. Yes, yes. I'm afraid one of them is going to look like me. That's right. Uh, merchandising, as Mel Brooks said in uh, Spaceballs. Um so, for example, we have Flo, the Flo Goblin. So Flo is the person who arrives late or is constantly getting up to do something outside the meeting, and it's disruptive in terms of the overall flow of the meetings. Meetings almost have personalities, just like mm-hmm. these goblins. And uh, if you have someone who's constantly disrupting, leaving early, coming late, uh, uh, changing the topic, although that's actually a different goblin, um, you need to you need to make sure that's corrected. And we, we have some specific tips uh, in the book. For example, uh, if someone is habitually late, uh, then maybe start the meeting at an odd time. 
317. Make, make, make your meeting start yeah. time a little bit odd. Uh, it's interesting how that can actually affect it. I've done that. People will say, what the heck? Why is your meeting start at 317? Because you remembered it. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Uh, and pull flow aside and say, you know, um, I appreciate you. You're a great contributor to the meeting. But meetings um, have to have, you know, you wouldn't call her out as flow. But you'd say meetings do have a, a uh, kind of a flow that we need to keep. And um, we would really appreciate it if you show up um, exact, you know, on time. In fact, uh, we'd ask that you come a little bit early. Mm-hmm. So, so each of these goblins have their own personality and their their own traits, and we've seen all of these people who uh, take you off on tangents, people who tend to act almost as a bully. So, one of the goblins that's one of my favorites is Charlie the Chatty Goblin. Uh, <laughs> Charlie's the person who is having side conversations, uh, many side conversations with anyone around him who will listen. Uh, and for this, I actually took a tip from my daughter, who is a uh, an English teacher in middle school in the Washington, D.C. area. And one of the things that she's told me is just walk over to the person just and, and do it slowly and subtly and stand near them. Yeah. They'll stop. And it's a little less disruptive and uh, in one way, a little less rude, in one way, a little more uh, <laughs> aggressive and assertive. And, and it gets them to stop. And they'll learn that if they continue to talk, that you'll just be located near them uh, frequently. She's used this in her classroom. I've used this in my graduate school classroom. Mm. And these are more of the age of the people we'll deal with, people who are 25 or so. Um, but it works kind of across the board. And that's an example of uh, what we have in our goblet section. Yeah. the I found this to be very practical and very helpful. There, One that resonated with me was the naysayer that's always negative. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys – Nancy yeah, the Nancy naysayer. the naysayer. <laughs> and it could be Ned, you know, it could be male or female. <laughs> oh, all but, of them uh, could be, all oh, of yeah. them could have any characteristic yeah. that you name. But the, uh, I recall we had a client, back when I was working in software for utilities, we had a client who would call. And we we're providing, you know, we we're doing hundreds and hundreds of calculations, dozens of reports. And if there was one number that was wrong, this guy would call. And his first words would be, everything is broken. And, it, yes. you know, it was like, oh, my, you know, the first time we heard that, we're panicking. We're like, <laughs> you know, sound the alarms. Everything's broken. And it's just Absolutely. one number's off. You know, okay, this is not the end of the world. You know, you see the impact that uh, a naysayer can have in the room. There was one other one that I thought of that, Rich, for uh, your volume two on this, for your next printing, you can <laughs> add the, the multitasker. So, you know, sometimes my meetings get, I feel like there's one person that I have to repeat for because they're over there multitasking. Uh uh Yes. And uh, I've even had, I've been doing a training session before on the software that I mentioned before. And uh, my colleague was leading from the front of the room and I was kind of walking around making sure everybody was keeping up. One guy's pulling his wallet out and uh, reaching for a credit card. I'm thinking, what do we have in our system that would require that? Well, he's shopping online. He's buying oh, tickets no, to a concert. No. <laughs> oh, absolutely. He was multitasking. <laughs> yeah. So this is one of those things that's, that I have seen. I've seen it in meetings. I've seen it in classrooms. The, the real solution to this, yeah. and, and this is actually kind of interesting, and it's, it's certainly not on any script that we've written, but I think it's worthwhile mentioning ground rules, right? Establishing yeah. ground rules. Um, and what I found really psychologically interesting here is that people, and I'll give students as an example, when you ask them, would you like to have a rule that says you can't, you should not have a tablet, smartphone, or laptop um, active during class? No, this is the person who's using it. They'll say, yes, please take it away from me. Huh. They, mm. they, they actually, 
Um, we, we surveyed hundreds of students at Boston University in our project management classes because we were seeing this. I'd walk through the room and I would see that their screens are not, in fact, on PMI's website. Uh-huh. They're selecting down jackets or <laughs> shoes on Amazon.com unabashedly. And so when we asked the students, would you be in favor of a ground rule that says if you need to use a laptop for translation, because we have a lot of international students, or for note-taking, that's fine. We're going to seat you towards the front of the room. If not, we want the laptop closed and your smartphones off. We'll give you plenty of breaks. Right? You, you set the ground rules and the expectations so they're not saying, oh, I, I can't wait to order this jacket or dress or shoe. <laughs> And you tell them, look, they'll be, we'll only be having periods of an hour to an hour and 15 meetings with, and then we'll be having breaks. And then you can run out and order your, <laughs> your product. <laughs> yep. But the interesting thing was 90% plus of the students, and these include the ones who are using the, the laptops, and I know them by name. They would say, yes, I agree with this. Please. Um, the laptop was just my own laptop was distracting me. My neighbor's laptop was distracting yeah. me. In fact, my neighbor would be online and that would remind me, yeah, I need a new jacket. Yeah. <laughs> and, and seriously, they would they were actually almost begging us to take these away. Just mm-hmm. so, almost like an addict would say, yeah, get this out, get this, you know, get this fattening food away from me. Rich, uh, one of the things that I've got. To, to mention while we're having this conversation, one of the things sure. I really appreciated in the book, and it, and, it, and honestly, it, it uh, uh, I kind of laughed at it when I realized the connection. You've got a section in the book uh, focused on facilitating a virtual meeting, and the part that was humorous to me was, hey, small world. You've got uh, Wayne. You know, you're uh, you're getting some advice from Wayne and sharing that in that chapter. Uh, mm-hmm. Wayne was our guest on episode 64 as he talked about. Um, virtual meetings. Talk yes. a little bit about your relationship with Wayne and how you twisted his arm to get him to collaborate with you. It didn't take much of a twist. So I've <laughs> known Wayne uh, Termel for a long time. I've been a fan. It started when I was a fan of his show. I don't know if you recall this called The Cranky Middle Manager. Did you know he had a show? <laughs> no, I didn't realize that. That's great. Awesome. It was one of the first times I got into podcasting. Um, terrific show, great sense of humor, a lot of history, you know, interesting trivia and history. Mm. If you're into that stuff, he would talk about Attila the Hun and, and uh, Charlemagne and all this stuff. And he was great at that. And, and, uh, he's moved into the world of coaching uh, with a, his colleague, Kevin Eikenberry, mm. coaching people as to how to run meetings. And they've become expert at, uh, planning and running any kind of virtual meeting or training. Mm. Um, they have a brand new book out too. Um, he, he, his chapter in our book on virtual meetings is drawn from the book called The Long Distance Manager. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great book. I don't know if that's what I assume that right. might be what you talked yeah, about. Yeah. That was our conversation. One yes. of his quotes, Rich, was, uh, uh, and I'm quoting Wayne here meetings pretty much suck. Making them virtual just adds a bit to the general suckiness. So, this is Wayne. Yeah. yeah, yeah this is Wayne. That's and Wayne. I appreciate the yeah. way that you guys take that because, you know, you know, to your point, we're having this meeting. We want to have the right people in the room. Some yes. of them may be joining us virtually. It could be a partner. It could be someone that's uh, you know located outside of the city that we're in, whatever. So it's something to consider, and it's something that, uh, again, that project manager needs to project manage. They need to really yes. think that through. And Exactly. Uh, think about the work. time zones. Think about the internet connectivity. Mm. Uh, it's not so easy, for example, in China to arrange uh, a virtual meeting because certain sites are blocked. Mm. And you have to consider that. Um, you can't tell someone in China, for example, to go Google something because Google's not acceptable. 
Um, I want to go back to you to the goblins for a second because there's one piece in here that I, I can't help uh, sharing. When you talked about the naysayer, you reminded me. <laughs> so um, the the negative person, the person who's saying, "Oh, we'll never get this done. Oh, this project's going to fail." I mean, there are, that's that's a real poison in your meeting. Mm. It's that's that gets into everyone's bloodstream, and you really need to avoid that. So and Wayne bring up Wayne and uh, brings up comedy and humor. And that reminds me of this piece of humor. Um, one of the things you can say publicly in a meeting like that is, you know, Nancy, pessimists are always eventually right. Rome eventually fell. The dinosaurs went extinct. But, you know, both of them had a pretty good run. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that kind of shuts up, Nancy, because, uh, you know, we're not talking about the end of time. We're talking about having a successful project, um, making our customers successful, um, being able to walk away from this and work on another project. We're not talking about, uh, you know, hate and war and death all the time. And um, in this case, you're really trying to focus uh, focus them on the fact that, you know, we can have a pretty good run. What happens when you have Nancy the naysayer or um, um, Murray the multitasker, uh, you know, take over? Uh, yes. what, what's, what's the result of that? Uh, I'd say that the result of that is a derailed meeting. Uh, the, 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 it's different between Murray and Nancy. Nancy's uh, issue will be that people are just going to walk away saying, we'll never get this done. Their motivation will be low. Uh, Murray the multitasker is just a little bit less uh, insidious because all he's doing is, you know, interrupting the, the meeting and maybe showing that it's okay to not pay attention. So it, by all means, not good. But I think Nancy's a little more dangerous in this and uh, of those two in in all of the cases though you need to take a direct approach this goes back to bill large and in charge right uh, you need to be a caricature of yourself and if you are if you tend to be a little bit introverted this is not the time for uh, mm. introverted ike yeah. <laughs> to, to name another go goblin as mm. a project manager you need to step outside your normal bounds and and uh, talk to these goblins um, whether it's one-on-one -on -one afterwards you know, you need to use your judgment, uh, whether it's right there in front of everyone. Sometimes that's necessary. Rich, before we let you go, we yes. want to know how, first of all, we can get the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's a, an agent named Nancy. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Standing by taking uh, In several forms, formats on Amazon. Um, we really liked our publisher here. I got to put in a pitch for Maven House. Um Maven House Press was the publisher, Jim Pennypacker, who was a big uh, contributor to PMI, helped us with this. I'd like to also thank uh, Dr. Harold Kersner for writing the foreword for us. Um, and, of course, Wayne and other contributors um, that we, we thank in the book. So it's available on Amazon. It's uh, Kindle, available on Kindle and um, uh, Barnes & Noble and so forth. Um, it's paperback. It's uh, it's affordable because it's a uh, paperback, which is good. Other other books that uh, I've co-authored have been hardcover and a little bit less accessible, and I'd say considered academic because they're hardcovers. This is a little more of a guide, and I think it's uh, should be uh, something that you'd be happy to have on your desk. And obviously, you offer a lot of expertise. How can people get in touch with you to to get more information from you? Sure. Um, I'd say we, we are establishing a website, Jim and I, but for now, I'd just uh, give you my email address. So that's just exclaim, E-X-C-L-A-I-M, exclaim, like I exclaim, what a great meeting. <laughs> exclaim at verizon.net is probably the best way to get to me. Well, Rich, thanks so much again for taking the time to be with us today. Great discussion. 
Thank you. It's uh, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. I've known you guys for a while, and it's great to be in a virtual room with you. One more thing, Rich. We've got yes. a present for you. A this present. is the Manage This coffee mug, and oh, we're we're going to send this to you. And uh, I understand that uh, you love full? that Kona blend. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I spilled my water um, for the listeners there. Now uh, there's water all over the table, but you can fill it with something uh, uh, much more potent, probably. Kona coffee. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'll treasure it. A reminder to our listeners, we know you're always looking for those credits to renew your project management certifications. And if you need some professional development units, we can supply them. In fact, you've already earned some PDUs just for listening to this podcast. To claim them, go to VelociTeach.com and choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on April 2nd for our next podcast. In the meantime, we'd love to have you visit us at velocityteach.com slash manage this to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at manage underscore this if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.